On Tuesday, some dude named Christian Galayan wrote a column for the New York Post that became the internet outrage du jour. The column, titled Why I Won't Date Hot Women Anymore, made the case that outrageously beautiful women are shallow and vapid, and that the same is true for men, and also implied that non-supermodels who are merely beautiful are a better pick. The column begins with the story of Dan Rochkind, a private equity douchebag. He says, quote, When it came to dating in New York as a 30-something executive in private equity, Dan Rochkind had no problem snagging the city's most beautiful women. I could have had anyone I wanted, says Rochkind, now 40 and an upper west sider with a muscular build and a full head of hair. By the way, dude's kind of weird looking. He says, I met some really nice people, but realistically, I went for the hottest girl you could find. He spent the better part of his 30s going on up to three dates a week, courting 20-something blonde models, but eventually realized that dating the prettiest young things had its drawbacks. He found them flighty, selfish, and vapid. Beautiful women who get a fair amount of attention get full of themselves, he says. Eventually, I was dreading getting dinner with them because they couldn't carry a conversation. So, how did Rochkins, who clearly prioritized physical beauty over intelligence, kindness, and decency, solve this little problem? He stopped dating supermodels. Quote, looking to avoid such a fate, Rochkin started dating a woman who isn't a bikini model, Carly Spindle, in January 2015. The two are now happily engaged. The two met after Spindle's mother, matchmaker Janice Spindle, scouted Rochkin to the gym. I gave him my card and I said I have the perfect girl for him, recalls Janice, founder of Serious Matchmaking based in Midtown. Successful men who are in shape have the pickings when it comes to dating, but eventually they want a woman of substance. There are a few problems here. First off, Spindle is extremely good looking. Perhaps the problem here isn't level of beauty, but the fact that women who generally go into bikini modeling may not, on average, have the same intellectual aspirations as women who become doctors. In other words, the supposed brain's beauty disconnect may not actually be a brain's beauty disconnect at all, but rather a bikini model brain's disconnect. People who spend their entire lives getting ready to get mostly naked on a beach somewhere may not be people who are concerned with reading up, to, uh, up on the latest economic development in the Wall Street Journal. But according to Galayan, nobody should date beautiful people at all if they want a stable relationship. Quote, according to new research, Rochkin's idea about sexy bikini babes are correct. A multi-part study from Harvard University, University of Laverne, and Santa Clara University researchers found that beautiful people are more likely to be involved in unstable relationships. In one part, the researchers looked at the top 20 actresses on IMDb and found that they tend to have rocky marriages. In another, women were asked to judge the attractiveness of 238 men based on their high school yearbook photos from 30 years ago. The men who are judged to be the best looking had higher rates of divorce. This is ridiculous. Both of these studies are flawed. Maybe the problem with actresses isn't that they're beautiful, it's that they are actresses. And maybe the good-looking guys in high school were treated like gods and just turned into Rochkind. The answer to shallowness isn't more shallowness, actually. The reaction to bad dating experiences with beautiful people isn't dating non-beautiful people, necessarily. It's to hold physical beauty as one portion of the dating calculus, but not the whole equation. My wife is gorgeous, but she's particularly gorgeous to me because she's a beautiful person, not just because she has a beautiful body. She has terrific values, a great sense of humor, ambition, and drive. She is brilliant and fun, a terrific mother, and a profoundly good human being. I was looking specifically for all of those things when I was dating. We've been married for nearly a decade, and when we're both old and wrinkly, I'll still be in love with her. She'll still be beautiful to me even when our youth fades. Now, to be fair, Rochkin seems to have discovered that. He now recognizes that, yes, beauty has a large physical component, but there's beauty in personality, brains, and values. That's why people stay married even after they get old and wrinkly, rather than upgrading for the newer model. Here's Rochkin, quote, She is a softer beauty, someone you can take home and cuddle with, and she's very elegant, Rochkin says, and she's five foot two, so she can't be a runway model, but I think she's really beautiful and is prettier than anyone I've dated. 
Sadly, Rochkin's douchiness isn't going away anytime soon. He says, there's something to be said about sowing your wild oats and getting them out of your system, says Rochkin, who will marry Carly in June at a Tuscan romantic ceremony at the Wolfer Estate Vineyard in the Hamptons, but he doesn't regret his past. You don't want to be the first to leave the party, but you don't want to leave the party too late either, he says. Carly came at exactly the right time. In other words, use beautiful but shallow women, then dump them by the side of the road later when you're getting older and ready to settle down. In both the looks and character department, Rochkind is obviously no catch. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Alrighty, so I don't know why people are talking to me from behind the camera, right, as the, as the sounder happens, um, but there, there are some women in the office who are, are, are obviously interested in this topic, so we'll have to have that discussion after the show. Not right now, guys, come on. Okay, so before we get into the news of the day, and there's lots of news, Trump is flipping on a bunch of issues, and we'll talk about whether that is good or bad, and what exactly that reflects about Trump. Is this the new presidency, or is this just more ideological incoherence? We'll talk about all of that. We'll also talk about the Sean Spicer thing, because everybody going nuts because Sean Spicer said something really dumb about the Holocaust yesterday. Let me just say very briefly, Barack Obama helped forward an actual Holocaust in both Syria and then also in Iran, an anti-Jewish regime that wants to murder every Jew on the planet, and he helped give them nuclear weapons. The media were complicit in that, but they're really pissed because Sean Spicer said something really dumb about the Holocaust. But we'll talk about all that in just a minute. First, I want to say thank you to our advertisers over at Wink. So, if you are one of the people who read that column about the, the dude who doesn't want to date beautiful women anymore and it just makes you want to drink, then trywink.com is the place for you. <laughs> if you. If you are going over to somebody's house for dinner and you don't know anything about wine, if you're like me and wine you just think is fermented grape juice and you leave some ketamine in the fridge and that turns into wine and then you bring it over to a friend's house and they say, what in the world are you doing? Then you need to go over to trywink.com, W-I-N-C.com slash Ben because they will tell you what kind of wine is good, what it pairs with. Uh, and the way that this works is you go on their website and you take take a survey as to what tastes you like, what tastes you like together, and then they recommend a bottle of wine for you. Their bottles of wine are really affordable, like 10 bucks a piece, and they will give you $20 off plus complimentary shipping at trywink.com slash Ben. Folks around the office have tried the wine. Apparently, they got into the wine stash this morning, which is why they're talking to me during the commercials. But in any case, trywink.com slash Ben is the place to go. Uh, the wine is apparently really, really good. Uh, and again, they will help you pick the best bottle of wine. If you don't know anything about wine like me, then this is the best place to find out what... They'll tell you what wine you need to bring so you don't look like a doofus, and the wine is really, really good and affordable. Again, trywink.com, W-I-N-C.com, slash Ben, $20 off, plus complimentary shipping. Okay, so... A lot going on in the last two days. Apparently, I leave for two days, and Donald Trump turns into George W. Bush, which is weird. Uh, so he's flipped on an inordinate number of issues in the last two days. Yesterday, he flipped on about six of them. And we're going to go through some of the issues upon which he flips. Now, some of these flips are good. And so the question that we have to ask is, is this Trump maturing in office? Is this reality slapping Trump in the face and saying, you know, a lot of your campaign rhetoric was really nonsensical, and now you're going to have to buckle down because the reality is that the Russians are a nefarious force in the world, and the, the reality is that North Korea is a dangerous place, and that not every problem is a simple problem that a businessman can solve just by wishing it so. Is it that? Is Trump actually becoming more mature? Or is he just responding to opinion polls? Is he just responding to events? Is he just trusting Ivanka and Jared? And are we going to get kind of an incoherent presidency that bounces from issue to issue? And we don't know the answer to that yet. But let's look at some of the flips, because some of them are actually quite good. And I'm pleased with them as a conservative. So, for example, yesterday, here is what Trump said about NATO. I said it was obsolete. It's no longer obsolete. It's my hope that NATO will take on an increased role in supporting our Iraqi partners in their battle against ISIS. 
Okay, and just to remind you, Throughout the entire campaign, throughout the entire campaign, he said NATO was obsolete, that NATO basically was done. Here's what he had to say during the campaign. Just a NATO is ago. obsolete. It was 67 years or it's over 60 years old. Okay, so NATO was obsolete. Okay, NATO was not obsolete. It's not true. Now, people are in, in the Trump administration are trying to play this like Trump changed NATO and therefore it's not obsolete. Absolute nonsense. The only NATO action of the last 20 years was an invocation after 9-11 on behalf of the United States for NATO forces to go into Afghanistan. So the idea that it was obsolete and it was not directed at terror is obviously not true. Good for Trump for at least acknowledging that. That's a, that's a good shift in position. It does demonstrate that those of us who were criticizing Trump during the campaign for saying this sort of stupidity and saying that it encouraged Vladimir Putin's aggressiveness, that Trump is now beginning to recognize the truth of that, or at least uh, he's going to flip on that. So that's a good flip. Okay, here's another good flip. Yesterday, Trump said that China is not a currency manipulator. Okay, now China is not a currency manipulator. They stopped several years ago manipulating their currency. And as I've said many times, even if China inflates their currency, that doesn't actually do anything overall to the American economy. This is why the Weimar Republic didn't just inflate itself into prosperity. This is why Venezuela didn't inflate itself into prosperity. This is why Zimbabwe hasn't been able to inflate itself into prosperity. There's this weird idea in international trade that if we inflate our currency, that somehow we're going to be benefiting ourselves because suddenly our products become cheaper on the international market, right? If we inflate our currency, then the, then the British pound is worth more American dollars and they can buy more American products and therefore it helps our export industry. The problem is that you inflate our currency, you also make our savings worthless, and you make all the products that we want to buy more expensive. So you actually don't help your economy overall when you inflate your currency. This is why a strong dollar is generally weaker, than, is generally better than a weak dollar. So Trump had said throughout the entire campaign that China was stealing our jobs by inflating currency. Not true. And now, yesterday, he came out and he said, well, not anymore. If you recall, his website actually said during the campaign, quote, we must stand up to China's blackmail and reject corporate America's manipulation of our politician. The U.S. Treasury's designation of China as a currency manipulator will force China to the negotiating table and open the door to a fair and far better trading relationship. And just a month ago, a couple months ago, he said, did China ask us if it was okay to devalue our currency, to devalue their currency, making it hard for our companies to compete? Yesterday in a Wall Street Journal interview, he said he was reversing his position because China has not manipulated their currency for months and pushing the issue could hurt U.S.-China relations. He said, I think our dollar is getting too strong and partially that's my fault because people have confidence in me. Basically, I'm too awesome. Okay, the, the reality is the dollar is strong right now because a lot of other countries are having economic trouble and America's a good investment. And that's not just about Trump. The dollar's been strong on the international market for years, right? It's not just Trump. But good that Trump flips on this because it's gonna, it would have been real awkward for him to say China's a currency manipulator when they have been manipulating for quite a while. Okay, other flips that Trump is engaged in. So here's a flashback about Saddam Hussein. If you recall... Trump didn't care five minutes ago when evil Middle Eastern dictators gassed their own people. Here's what Trump said about it. Then they start fighting again. Then Saddam Hussein throws a little gas. Everyone goes crazy. Oh, it's using gas. They go back, forth. It's the same. Okay, so it was not a big deal when Saddam threw a little gas. And here is Donald Trump on Bashar Assad yesterday with regard to Bashar Assad using gas on his own people. Uh, there can't be a worse sight, and it shouldn't be allowed that's a butcher. That's a butcher. So I felt we had to do something about it. I have absolutely no doubt we did the right thing. Okay, so again, it's good that Trump is now recognizing the truth that it is bad for dictators to use gas on their own people. And the, the sort of the, the sort of casual way in which he was 
saying that it doesn't matter if you gas your own people was really silly to begin with. And people bought into that. And this is what I hate about sort of the way our politics are done, is that he campaigns on the basis of a bunch of silly things that he eventually reverses because as president, he realizes that they're silly. Here's another one. A month ago on Bill O'Reilly's program, he said about Vladimir Putin that Vladimir Putin isn't that bad, that Russia's not really that big a problem. The U.S. has a lot of killers. You remember this. He said this on Bill O'Reilly's program. I do respect him. Do you? Why? Well, I respect a lot of people, but that doesn't mean I'm going to get along with him. Putin's a killer. A lot of killers. We got a lot of killers. Why, you think our country's so innocent? You think our country's so innocent? I don't know of any government leaders that are killers in America. Well, take a look at what we've done, too. We've made a lot of mistakes. I've been against the war in Iraq from the beginning. Yeah, mistakes are different then. A lot of mistakes, okay, but a lot of people were killed. Okay, and then here is Donald Trump again yesterday with regard to Russia relations. It would be wonderful as we were discussing just a little while ago, if NATO and our country could get along with Russia. Right now, we're not getting along with Russia at all. We may be at an all-time low in terms of uh, relationship with Russia. This is built for a long period of time. Uh, But we're going to see what happens. Uh, Putin is the leader of Russia. Russia is a strong country. Uh, We're a very, very strong country. We're going to see how that all works out. And then Trump tweeted this morning that Russia and U.S. relations would work themselves out because everybody would get together and realize what's in their best interest. Again, that's a little bit of of wishful thinking on the part of Trump. Are all these things evidence that Trump is growing into the job, or is it just evidence that he's responding to events based on the information that's being given to him, and could he be flipped on these things? Another example of Trump flipping yesterday, you recall, all during the election cycle, he kept saying that he wanted to be unpredictable. He didn't want to tell people in advance of military operations that were going to be taking place. And then, of course, he told the Russians in advance that we were going to be firing cruise missiles at this at this base. He should. He should have told the Russians that. We don't want to escalate into a hot war based on us not telling the Russians what's going on. But here is Trump back during the campaign saying he wants to be unpredictable. Bill, I'm going to do what's right. I want to be unpredictable. I'm not going to tell you right now what I'm going to do. Right. And he's kept saying that about foreign policy. And then yesterday he was asked about what's he going to do in Syria. And then he just spills out his plan on what he's going to do in Syria. We're not going into Syria because, you know, there were some questions. Nikki Haley is doing a great job. Rex is doing a fantastic job. Our secretary of state, uh, General McMaster, fantastic. But if you add it all up and if they take every little word, they'll say, oh, they're different. Just so you understand, we're not going into Syria. But when I see people using horrible, horrible chemical weapons, which they agreed not to use under the Obama administration, but they violated it. Okay, and and so, again, the point here is not just to say that he flips on things, because a lot of politicians flip on things. The point here is to say that he seems to be flipping in a more practical direction on a lot of these things. Now, there are areas where he's flipping in a non-practical direction. So he's now said that he's in favor of the Export-Import Bank, which is just a corporatist nonsense thing. Uh, He's flipping on some of his tax policies, which I don't think is a good thing. But when it comes to foreign policy, he's flipping into a much more realistic position with regard to Russia. He realizes now that Russia is a nefarious force in the world. He's flipping into a more realistic position on North Korea. People were laughing at this yesterday, but I actually didn't see what was so crazy about it. He was talking apparently with, with the president of China, uh, Xi Jinping, and he and he apparently said that, um, uh, that, that Xi had told him about what was going on with North Korea, and he realized that it wasn't as simple as just telling the Chinese to get rid of, of Kim Jong-un. Well, people were laughing at that, like, shouldn't he have known that already? Yeah, he should have known that already, but he learns. The machine learns, right? That's a good thing. The fact that he is now realizing that new information is changing his opinion, 
that's a good thing. I don't think that that's a bad thing. The problem here is that he doesn't have any steady principles. So normally what you'd want from a president is somebody who has a steady set of principles upon which he can rely, and then the information that he's given changes how he reacts based on those principles. The problem with Trump is he doesn't actually have a steady base of principles, and so we don't actually know what his principles are. So when he gets new information, it doesn't just shift his approach, it shifts his entire worldview. His worldview is shifting day by day. Five minutes ago, it was horrible to, to bomb a sovereign country if they were using gas on their own people. Now, it's imperative that we bomb a sovereign country if they use gas on their own people. Five minutes ago, it was terrible that NATO was, was sucking up oxygen. Now, it's great that NATO is out there fighting the Russians. Five minutes ago, Vladimir Putin was a wonderful guy we were going to make a deal with. And now, Vladimir Putin's a nefarious force in the world. Again, it would have been better if we had had all those positions up front because then a lot of people wouldn't feel cheated. And I want to talk about whether people who were Trump's biggest supporters ought to feel cheated in just a second. But first, I want to say thank you to our friends over at Tracker.com. So as I have said before, you know, thetracker.com is where you go, T-R-A-C-K-R.com. Promo code Ben, you get a free Tracker Bravo. What the Tracker does is you attach it to your phone, you attach it to your keys, you put it in your wallet, and then you can use an app on your phone to track down exactly where your keys in your wallet are. As I've said before, this helps me my marriage. This is one of the pet peeves that both my wife has with me and I have with her, and that is we lose stuff on an incredibly frequent basis. Uh, and the Tracker has solved that problem because now we both have the app on our phone, and if we lose our wallet or our keys and we're trying to rush out the door, we just go to the app and we, and we set it up, and then we search for our phone and it immediately comes up. And by the way, if you lose your phone itself, then you can have a setting on there. You attach one to your keys. The setting on the phone will actually be overridden. So if your phone is on silent, this ha how often does this happen? Your phone is on silent when you lose your phone. And now you're looking around and you're trying to call it and it doesn't matter. Well, what the tracker does is it, it actually rings forward of the phone and that means that you are going to be able to locate your phone even if you've put it on silent, which is an awesome, awesome thing. TheTracker.com promo code Ben. It's only like a coin-sized device. You can see it on your screen right here. and It'll save you tons of time and tons of aggravation. And it's the little things that drive you crazy. It isn't the big things in life that make you completely nutty. It's the little things like losing your keys in your wallet that make you totally insane. TheTracker.com prevents that. So go to TheTracker, no E, TheTracker.com and use that promo code Ben. You get a free Tracker Bravo with any purchase. Okay, so the the reason that it's important to have principles and not just flip your principles based on the events of the day is you never know. If, if you don't know what the basic principles are, if you don't have a generalized worldview, you don't know which piece of information is actually going to hit home. Is it the piece of information that putting American troops on the ground is going to be damaging to your popularity rating? Or is it the piece of information where you're watching TV and there are a bunch of dead Syrian kids on the TV? Which piece of information hits home? Now, if you have a worldview, we can basically predict as a people how you're going to react to a given piece of information. Because the information will either confirm your worldview or it will reject your worldview. But when you don't know what exactly Trump is basing his positions on, it makes things really difficult. And this is what's happening in the infight inside the administration between Steve Bannon and Stephen Miller on the one side and Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump on the other. Trump, as I've said before, is running this administration like it's a family business. That's not a great shock. He runs his family business like a family business. Now he's running the White House like a family business. Jared Kushner, who has all of the same qualifications as my three-year-old daughter to be in charge of China policy, is now in charge of China policy, Middle East policy, heroin policy. Uh, he doesn't have expertise on any of this, but he's loyal to Trump, and so Trump likes him. On the other hand, you've got Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon represents a nationalist populist movement uh, that thinks that, that big government is basically okay, but we have to protect our borders and we have to be more isolationist on foreign policy. That's sort of the nationalist populist movement. There's more crossover, I think, between the nationalist populist movement and conservative policy than there is between Ivanka and Jared and conservative policy because both of them are career Democrats. And so what you've got right now 
is Steve Bannon, who is an admittedly bad guy who does not actually believe a lot of conservative things. And then you've got Jared and Ivanka on the other side who don't believe any conservative things, but are nicer people. And, and so there are no good options for conservatives. You're sort of hoping that Trump bumbles his way into just delegating power to all of the people he's appointed. Like Nikki Haley is doing a good job. Rex Tillerson is doing a surprisingly good job. I'm shocked at how, how Rex Tillerson has been hawkish on Russia. I did not expect to see that coming. Uh, and, uh, and so all of that's good. Trump needs to delegate all of that, not to Jared and Ivanka, but to the people that he has appointed to the positions who are actually qualified for those positions. Otherwise, the more Trump meddles, the more you just wonder what piece of information is going to flip his mind today. Because I don't think that what we're seeing is a full growth of Trump into the job. I think what we're seeing is that Trump is responding and reacting because that's what Trump does. I don't think he's changed his personality. I just think that he's reacting to events that now impact him in a way they didn't. It's easy to say when you're a candidate, okay, so somebody gasses a few children. It's different when everybody in the world is saying, you're the leader of the free world. What are you going to do? A bunch of children just got gassed. Things change pretty radically. But it does leave up in the air. What if a new piece of information emerges that flips Trump back? Right? What happens if, if, if he decides that it's more important to make a deal with the Russians than to speak the truth about what Russia is doing? So, for example, Russia's Sergei Lavrov, yesterday he came out, he said there's no evidence that Assad used chemical weapons. Now, as for the chance that this investigation reveals the government's implication in chemical attacks. It's so hypothetical. We do not want to speculate. We see speculation. So he's saying that there's a, he's saying that, it, that we have no information that it was necessarily Assad. Assad is saying the same thing. He's saying that he thinks that it was the deep state that helped plant this, and they're the ones who are attacking the United States and Trump. Uh, He's actually trying to avoid, Assad is trying to avoid pissing off Trump. Here's what he actually said. This is just breaking right now. He said, I was very cautious in saying any opinion regarding him before he became president and after. I always say, let's see what he's going to do. We wouldn't comment on the statements. So actually, this is the first proof that it's not about the president in the United States. It's about the regime and the deep state or the deep regime in the United States is still the same. It doesn't change. The president is only one of the performers on their theater. If he wants to be a leader, he cannot because as some say he wanted to be a leader. Trump wanted to be a leader, but every president there, if he wants to be a real leader, later he's going to eat his words, swallow his pride and make a 180 degree U-turn, otherwise he would pay the price politically. That's Assad parroting messages that are coming out of the Russian regime. Is that going to impact Trump? We don't know because we don't know Trump's worldview. Hopefully over time, his worldview will develop. You know, every president enters office saying they're basically going to be an isolationist. Very few end up that way. We will see what his worldview actually ends up being or whether it's just defined by Jared Ivanka or Bannon or whomever. It's a lot of confusion right now, and Trump is not doing anything to, to, to tamp down that confusion. All I can say is that a lot of the flips he's making right now I think are good in terms of policy, but there are some that are, that are still bad. He's a mixed bag. He will always be a mixed bag so long as he doesn't have a worldview. Okay, so now you're going to have to go over to Daily Wire to check out the rest of the show. We're going to talk about the reactions from the right and why there are so many who are part of Trump's hardcore base who are very upset about Syria because they think that Trump had a worldview that he obviously doesn't. And so we'll talk about what that means for Trump and the future of his presidency. You have to go over to dailywire.com and check that out. $8 a month over at Daily Wire. We're also going to be talking about the Sean Spicer situation and the media going nuts over Sean Spicer and the Holocaust. 
$8 a month. If you get an annual subscription today, you get a free copy of The Arroyo, which is a terrific fictional movie set on the border uh, by our very own Jeremy Boring, uh, all about the, the issues that plague the ranchers who live on the border, their land being used as a thoroughfare for drugs and prostitution uh, and, uh, and illegal immigration, and what one rancher decides to do about it. Go over and get an annual subscription right now at dailywire.com and check it out. You can be also part of the mailbag, which we'll be doing tomorrow here at dailywire.com. You want all your questions answered and all your life issues solved. We can make that happen for you over at dailywire.com. If you just want to listen later, go over to iTunes or SoundCloud and check out the show. And make sure if you're listening at iTunes to leave a review. We always appreciate it. Uh, And uh, we are the largest conservative podcast in the nation. So you can see the confusion on all sides because Trump is a confusing character. The confusion on the right is coming from people who were Trump's biggest cheerleaders. Ann Coulter, she came out and she says that you know, it seems that Trump, she's basically saying the same thing as Assad. It looks like Trump has now been co-opted by the deep state or by the neocon establishment or whatever you want to call it. And for that reason, region of the world, Assad uh, is one of the the better leaders. Um, there are probably only one or two that are better than he. He's not even like a Saddam Hussein murderous thug. Um, he helped What's us after 9-11, giving us intelligence. It's, it's a very strange thing we've done here. And uh, she has a right to be upset because she was under the impression that Trump was actually going to be the isolationist that he claimed to be. And he's not. He's reacting to events the way that Trump always reacts to events. He has a feeling and then he goes and he does something about it. Is that going to develop into a worldview? We just don't know. Tucker Carlson is doing the smart thing on this, you know, in terms of the media and, and Trump supporters. He's trying to claim that it's the Democrats who are responsible for a war that Trump is involving us in. Uh, he says that it's, it's, it's not Trump, right? You see the struggle on, on the part of a lot of people who are Trump fans to say it's not Trump making this call, even though it's obviously Trump making the call. Here's Tucker Carlson blaming it on the Democrats. The anti-war party, they sang songs about it, wore T-shirts, held concerts, flashed countless peace signs. That was then, though. Democrats are now the reflexive party of war, all wars, except those with an obvious benefit to us here in the United States. If there's a humanitarian quagmire on the other side of the globe, they are all for committing troops. And you'd better be for it, too, or they will denounce you. Don't believe it? Ask Tulsi Gabbard. Gabbard, you may know, is a Democratic member of Congress from Hawaii. She remembers the lessons of Iraq, perhaps because she served there herself. And she has consistently warned against intervening in Syria. She says it serves no U.S. interest, it will likely empower terror groups, and it could dramatically increase the suffering of civilians there. Now, you might not agree with her point of view, but you cannot call her positions crazy because they're not crazy. But they are still too much for the modern Democratic Party. Just last weekend, she was denounced by none other than Howard Dean, who called her a, quote, disgrace. Do you remember Howard Dean? He's the former peacenik who ran for president in 2004 on the basis of his opposition to the war in Iraq, a war caused in part by false U.S. intelligence reports. Now he's demanding that Tulsi Gabbard leave Congress. This is Why? amazing. It's amazing to watch. It's amazing to watch Carlson rip on the Democrats for a decision that Donald Trump is making with the backing of a Republican Congress. Okay, again, the Democrats are completely incoherent when it comes to foreign policy, but there's a real struggle on the part of some people not to blame Trump for what Trump is obviously doing. The only reason this bombing took place is because the president of the United States ordered it. And you are seeing that it's it's there's this weird nexus now. It's a very uncomfortable nexus between a lot of people who are very against Trump's involvement in any way in Syria uh, and what the Russian regime wants, which doesn't mean that Tucker Carlson and Rand Coulter are Russian agents, but it does demonstrate, if you were wondering why there was so much suspicion that Vladimir Putin was in favor of Donald Trump, it's because there were a lot of people who were parroting Vladimir Putin's positions on the Iraq war, on Syria, up until the moment that Donald Trump started bombing it. 
Uh, so here, here's Vladimir Putin talking about Donald Trump uh, today. I've said that this U.S. strike reminds me strongly of events in Iraq in 2003 when U.S. representatives at the U.N. Security Council showed alleged chemical weapons found in Iraq. A military campaign was then launched in Iraq and it resulted in the destruction of the country, the growth of the terrorist threat and the emergence of the Islamic State. Okay, so again, this is the sort of propagandistic stuff that Putin is putting out because he has a strategic interest in Syria. Anybody who thinks that Putin is a force for human rights has not been watching closely at all. But if for people who are suspicious that Trump was in the pocket of Russia, that's just because Trump kept saying nice things about Russia and Putin in the same way that Coulter is now saying that Bashar Assad is one of the better leaders in the Middle East. There is no standard by which Bashar Assad is one of the better leaders in the Middle East. Bashar Assad is a disastrous leader. Bashar Assad is not only a human rights violator, he reflexively supports, he reflexively supports uh, the, the Hezbollah regime in southern Lebanon. He is in bed with the Iranians. Uh, he is not one of the better Middle Eastern leaders. Okay, Al-Sisi is one of the better Middle Eastern leaders. King, King Abdullah of Jordan uh, is, uh, is one of the better Middle Eastern leaders. But the idea that, the, that, that Assad is like in the top tier of Middle Eastern leaders is just ridiculous. It's, it's a grab bag of crap, but he is certainly not at the top of the heap. But, you know, again, because people are, are, are isolationists on sort of what was the Trump side of the aisle, they're shocked by what Trump is doing. But some of them are trying to avoid the implication, which is that Trump has actually shifted his position on this thing. Now, on the left, they're having some different troubles. On the right, they're having the trouble with Trump shifted his position. Does that mean that he's now shifted his worldview and he's a neocon cuck, right? And on the, on the left, you're getting people who are basically saying that Trump is doing the right thing, but we're not going to give him credit for doing the right thing anyway. So here's Anderson Cooper saying that Trump is doing the right thing, but he's reversing himself on everything. Today, President Trump making a 180 on so many of the statements he made during the campaign, it was enough to give the White House whiplash. Making a total, the scope of the changes are literally global. Now, in fairness, when circumstances change, people expect a president to change with them, and perhaps what they're hearing reflects that. Still, it is rather breathtaking, and it extends to domestic policy as well. Okay, so, you know, the fact is that uh, you know, the left doesn't know what to do with Trump either. Nobody knows what to do with Trump because Trump doesn't know what to do with Trump. We're going to find out, you know, how much this matters in the coming days. By the way, breaking news right now. Apparently, the United States has now dropped the largest non-nuclear bomb in our arsenal on an ISIS camp. Blast radius of a mile in every direction. This is the first time this bomb has been used in combat. Uh, this has been in the works for months. No assessment of civilian deaths. It is a GBU-43 with 11 tons of TNT on a series of caves targeting ISIS in, uh, in Afghanistan, actually. Uh, so it's not in Syria. It's in Afghanistan. So, look, Trump is uh, Trump is a serious uh, he's a serious wartime leader, apparently. Uh, he didn't think he would be, but neither did George W. Bush in 2000. Uh, and, and so things change. How people deal with that change is anybody's guess. I think that I, I hope that this is Trump running up against reality and changing his worldview. Uh, I fear that it's Trump running against reality and then kind of lashing out in whatever direction he thinks is convenient. Um, but we can hope that he's getting better. And there are indicators that a lot of the decisions he's making are the right ones. So uh, let's hope that that continues. Okay, time for some stuff I like and then some stuff that I hate. So uh, we'll do that in one second. First, I want to say thank you to our new advertisers over at Upside.com. So if you travel a lot, if, you are, if you're somebody who does a lot of business travel, Upside.com is for business travelers. It was created by a guy named Jay Walker, who is the founder of Priceline. And what he realized is that when you package hotels and, and flights, then you end up saving an enormous amount of money. Upside.com does it in a different way than a lot of the other travel websites. 
Uh, they, they basically, you buy your air in your hotel as a bundle, and you get a gift card worth a lot of money as a refund, and you also get a uh, you also get a big discount. So you save your company money, plus you get at least $200 in gift cards with minimum purchase when you go to Upside.com right now and use the radio listener promo Ben. You save a lot of money. Uh, I, I was on the line with Jay Walker the other day. He explained to me the entire system. Uh, it's really cool. You can use it every time you buy a trip. If you travel twice a week, you can use Upside twice a week. There's no limit on trips or gift cards. You can easily make $400 or $1,000 a month in gift cards if you're a business traveler. And the reason that they're a little bit different is because you, they, they are specifically designed to get you cheaper deals on one-seat travel. So they're designed for business travelers who are traveling alone. It's hard to get uh, a lot of flexibility in flights in a hotel when there are two people traveling together. And and so a lot of websites don't deal well with that uncertainty. But Upside.com does it better than anybody. And you can also, it will check automatically for you. How can you save more money by flying into a different airport or using a different hotel or staying in a different zone of the same city? Uh, And so it, it offers you all that. Plus, the customer service is great. Instead of having these idiotic services where you can't get a hold of anybody if you want to change your ticket, you can always modify or cancel a trip after you purchase. There's 24-7 a real live person on the phone who is there for you when you're traveling. There is nothing as important as this. I travel a lot, and there is nothing as irritating as they flip your flight, and now you're in trouble, and you can't get somebody on the phone to fix it for you. Upside.com fixes it for you. They answer fast, and Upside takes care of you. Terrific customer service, and again, not only do they offer lower prices for your business, they also will kick back to you a, a gift card to places like Amazon.com or 40-plus top national retailers uh, when, you, when you shop with Upside.com. It takes three minutes to see how much you can save by buying your flights and hotel together for that one low price. Check it out right now. And you, again, if you use the promo code BEN at Upside.com, go to Upside.com, use that promo code BEN, and you are guaranteed to get at least a $200 Amazon gift card for your first trip. Even if the trip's like a $100 trip, you get a $200 gift card with a minimum purchase over at Upside.com slash BEN. There's a minimum purchase, so I'm, I, you'll have to check out what the minimum purchase is on the ticket, but it's $200 in gift cards with that minimum purchase. Uh, my name, again, gets you that $200 gift card. Save big on travel and get that big gift card free uh, every time. Uh, it's, it's terrific. And again, I've talked to the founder of the company, really solid guy. It's, it's not, no pun intended, a fly-by-night operation. The guy who created it also created Boog for Priceline.com, so he knows exactly what he's doing. Go ahead and check it out. If you're a business traveler, save your company some money and uh, get yourself some nice stuff at the same time. Okay, so time for some things I like. So, uh, I just finished reading this book, which is a thing that I sort of like, um, and it is a thing that I sort of do not like. It would be interesting to actually go through this book chapter by chapter, because there's a lot in there. The book is called Sapiens, uh, and it's by a guy named Yuval Noah Harari, who is a history professor over in, uh, in Israel. He went to, I think, Oxford University. Uh, and the book is a brief history of humankind, uh, a brief history of humanity, the, the, the interesting part of the book is the anthropology part of the book. Once he gets into his discussions of religion, he's very dismissive of religion in a way that I think is, is very silly. Uh, he is uh, obviously a, an advocate on behalf of Buddhism, on sort of this stoic Buddhist philosophy that suggests that happiness is, 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 about invo- is about enjoying the state that you're in or being in the state that you're in rather than wishing for another state. But happiness is not about pursuing some sort of life goal or life mission. Happiness is not about... Uh, seeking pleasure, happiness is instead about you know sort of living a passive life. And so he, for example, in this book, comes out against the agricultural revolution, which made civilization possible. He says, were people happier in civilization or were they not happier in civilization? Uh, I'm going to go with that is not the only measure of happiness. Uh, is is you know your individual happiness 
it seems to me that if you're able to sustain 7 billion people on the planet, you have up to the net happiness in a way that you were not able to when it was just a bunch of hunter-gatherer bands and high child mortality and high rates of war. Um, but it's a really interesting book about the history of humanity and how humanity has developed. At the very end, he gets into some really weird territory uh, where he talks about what's going to happen with uh, what, what they call the singularity. What happens when we start actually shaping our own genetics and our own brains, uh, when we start picking not only designer babies, but when we can have implants on our brain that download information, when we actually conquer uh, the problems of aging and death, what do we do then and how does that impact humanity? So that part of the book's really interesting. It's a very thought-provoking book. He's definitely of the left, but it does have a couple of, of lessons that I think are really fascinating, including the value of religion. He's honest enough, and this is what I think honest atheists should do. He's honest enough to acknowledge that atheism has nothing to say about human rights, that this idea that atheism inevitably leads to human rights is absolutely a bunch of crap. Human rights are an outgrowth of a Judeo-Christian worldview. He doesn't even believe in a Judeo-Christian worldview. In fact, in, in many cases, he stands up for paganism in the book. But the idea that, that human rights are, are separable from a, a basic religious viewpoint on the world uh, is just not true, and he's honest enough to admit it. So really fascinating book, a lot there to discuss, good food for thought. Okay, other things that I like. So uh, Don, uh, this is actually a thing that I quasi-like, quasi-hate. So Donald Trump was talking about Susan Rice. Susan Rice was, of course, national security advisor under President Obama, and she was apparently involved in consistently unmasking uh, members of the Trump transition team in intelligence reports. So there would be an intelligence report, and it said, Sergei Kislyak, the, Kislyak, the Russian ambassador, is talking to, the, is talking to uh, U.S. Citizen One. And Susan Rice would then come out and she would say, uh, and she would then come out and say, okay, I want to know who U.S. Citizen One is. Is it Trump? Is it somebody else? And the intelligence community would give her the name. And she was consistently doing this with members of the Trump national security team and Trump transition team and Trump campaign. And here is Trump talking about Susan Rice. And you look at the extent of the surveillance, me and so many other people, it's it's terrible. She said she didn't do it for political reasons. Susan Rice told Does Andrew Mitchell. Does anybody really believe that? Nobody believes that. Even the, the people that try to protect her in the news media. It's such a big story, and I'm sure it will continue forward. Okay, and, you know, he's right about this. There, there's this attempt to protect Susan Rice for, again, there's no allegations of any actual impropriety as of yet, and yet Susan Rice is unmasking everybody. He's right about this. Here's the part I hate. So Evan McMullen was a guy that a lot of people voted for for president. I did not vote for him. I did not vote for either of the two major candidates because they did not meet my minimum criteria for being president of the United States. We'll see how Trump performs if I vote for him for re-election. But Evan McMullen ran against Trump and didn't do particularly well. He didn't win a state. Um, but here he is defending Susan Rice, and he sort of made a new career, a second-wave career, out of criticizing Trump for everything large and small. Look, Evan, from your political perspective, you were no fan of Donald Trump. You were no fan also of the Obama administration. With, your, with this news, your experience in the field, do you think Susan Rice did anything wrong? No, I don't. This is an orchestrated distraction by the White House and by then-Chairman Nunez of the House Intelligence Committee. That's what this is. Everybody, including former directors of Central Intelligence and others, uh, people who are reporting on the matter, CNN most recently, uh, anyone with any credibility on this topic sees right through the charade. That's exactly what it is. It's an effort, I believe, and this is my assessment at this point, but I believe this is an effort to distract from the ongoing FBI investigation of Donald Trump's campaign and its potential are now confirmed uh, by the Washington Post ties and other reports ties to Russia. That's what this is about. This is, as I said, an orchestrated okay. effort to distract the American people. 
Okay, and this is ridiculous, okay? The problem, so I've talked at length about the problems of what I've called religious Trumpism, the idea that whatever Trump does is good, and you flip immediately on your position based on what Trump says. There is also a major problem of religious never-Trumpism. Okay, I was somebody who was never Trump, and what I meant by never Trump is I'm not going to vote for him in a general election, and I didn't. Okay, that's where my never Trumpism ended. Once he's president, it's not about never Trump anymore. It's about does he do good stuff or does he do bad stuff? Never Trump was never a movement. Never Trump was just about what I was willing to stand for as a voter. I said nothing in this election. Okay, when it comes to now, and Trump is the president, never Trumpism doesn't work because he's now a guy making policy. Do you like his policies or do you not? And what you're seeing right now is that there are a group of people who were ardent never Trumpers trying to justify not voting for Trump by saying that everything that Trump does is bad. Okay, there's a case to be made that you didn't vote for Trump because he did not provide evidence he was going to be a good president, but now he's doing some good things. I think that is the honest case to be made. Some of the things he's doing are good. Some of the things that he's doing are bad. On balance, I would say he's doing more good things than bad, although he makes an ass out of himself far too often for my liking. But what you see from people like Evan McMullen, and this is really troubling and really stupid, is that every time Trump does anything, there is an implication that Trump is doing something wrong. This corrupts your own ideology because, again, some of the stuff he's doing actually is conservative and correct. If all you care about is Trump failing, if all you care about is Trump doing badly, then you are inevitably going to cross swords with your own ideology because sometimes he's going to agree with you. Sometimes he's going to do stuff that you actually should like if you weren't so blinded by your hatred of Donald Trump. And I think it's very dangerous that you have this never-Trump movement in, in terms of ardent never-Trumpers who are still doing this routine. And I think there are very few people who are doing this. I think there are some, but I don't think it's very many. There are a lot of people, you know, Eric Erickson was never Trump. He'll praise Trump when Trump does something right. I think that's basically the mainstream position of people who didn't vote for Trump or for Hillary and were highly critical of Trump during the election. But there is this wing of the never Trump movement that still says they are part of a movement that is never Trump. You can't be never the president of the United States. Okay, sometimes the president does stuff that's good. Sometimes the president does stuff that's bad. That's the thing that I hate. So good for Trump for calling out Susan Rice. Obviously, Susan Rice is a nefarious political actor. She always has been. There's a lady who went on national television and lied repeatedly about a YouTube video being responsible for the death of four Americans in Libya. Okay, if you believe Susan Rice, then I have a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn right now for a lot of money. But if, if, you, if you are just opposing Trump because you don't like Trump, then all I can say is that you're blinding yourself to principle. Okay, time for some things that I hate. So there's a lot of fuss and bother today over Sean Spicer, who's the White House press secretary. I should say the incompetent White House press secretary because he really is not very good at his job. Uh, and he made a boo-boo yesterday because he was talking about the, the fact that, uh, that Bashar Assad had used gas on his own people, and he decided to make a Holocaust reference. Now, you can make a Holocaust reference by saying that Bashar Assad is like Hitler. He gassed his own people. Right? You can also make the, the reference, you can say that it is very rare in modern history for a person to use gas on enemy combatants in wartime that's been banned by international law for a really long time. What you can't say is that Hitler, is that Bashar Assad is worse than Hitler. Okay? It is hard to say that Bashar Assad is worse than Hitler. Sean Spicer says that, and the way that he justifies it is just not factually accurate. Now, people are saying this is because he's malicious. It's not. It's because he's stupid. We didn't use chemical weapons in World War II. You know, you had a, you know, someone as despicable as Hitler who didn't even sink to the, to the, to using chemical weapons. I'll give you the opportunity to clarify something you said that seems to be Thank gaining you. some traction right now. Uh, quote, Hitler didn't even sink to the level of using chemical weapons. What did you mean by that? I, I think when you come to sarin gas, uh, there was no, he was not using the gas on his own people the same way that 
Ashad is doing. I mean, there was clearly. I I, I understand your point. Thank you. I uh, thank you. I appreciate that. There was not in the in the he brought him into the to um, to the Holocaust Center. I understand that. But I'm saying in the way that Assad used them, where he went into towns, dropped them down to innocent into the middle of towns, it was brought. To, so the use of it, and I appreciate the clarification there. That was not the intent. Okay. He's really bad at his job. I mean, for, forget about everything else. He's really bad at his job. Does this mean that he is viciously demeaning the Holocaust? No. It means that what he is trying to say at the very end, right, at the very end of this, he comes along something that looks mildly like truth. He says that he didn't airdrop gas on his own people. That's true. He did gas a crapload of his own people because German Jews were still Germans, and he literally gassed millions of, of Jews all across Europe, including hundreds of thousands of German Jews. Uh, he didn't just do it in the gas chambers, or what he calls the Holocaust centers there, which is weird. The Holocaust center is an actual museum, like a gas chamber is a gas chamber. Um, but he's, he's bad at his job. So the media goes crazy over this. It's so crazy. How could he possibly say all this stuff? Yes, this is a very stupid thing to say. Just because it's a very stupid thing to say does not mean that he is doing something deeply nefarious and wrong. Maybe he's just a doof, right? And that is the most plausible explanation, considering that there was another guy who was before the Trump administration, Barack Obama, who actively helped foster a Holocaust in Syria that's currently happening, and also helped foster a second Holocaust by giving the Iranians a clear pathway to a nuclear bomb that they have said openly they want to use on the Jews. And the media were perfectly willing to go along with all of that because Obama was Obama. Sean Spicer says something dumb and it's the end of the world. Should he be knocked for this? Of course. It's stupid. Historical accuracy is an important thing. But is it something that has anywhere near the earth-shattering effect of Barack Obama signing a nuclear deal with the Iranians that gives them billions and billions, hundreds of billions of dollars over the course of the next 10 years that they're going to use for terrorism and nuclear development? Of course not. Does it measure in any way up to Barack Obama handing power over Syria over to Russia so that Bashar Assad could continue gassing people? No, I'm sorry. Nothing Sean Spicer did here even remotely amounts to that. Now, this isn't whataboutism, because I'm not saying that we should ignore what Spicer said. I am saying that the media has a massive double standard when it comes to the amount of focus they put on these things. All day has been Sean Spicer's comment today. It was clearly him being a moron. Never attribute to malevolence what you can attribute to stupidity. I don't think that Trump, I don't think Obama was stupid. I think he was malevolent when it came to Iran because he's not a stupid man when it comes to foreign policy. I think that Sean Spicer makes a lot of mistakes because Sean Spicer is a doof. And so I think that's the, the clearest answer here. And by the way, I think the media going nuts over this is a little bit over the top, considering that Chris Matthews, I'm going to say, flashback to Chris Matthews. He said that Hitler didn't use chemical weapons. said this like a year ago. If you basically lied, put down a red line and say, don't use chemical weapons, and it's been enforced in, in the Western community and around the world, the international community for, for decades, don't use chemical weapons. We didn't use them in World War II. Hitler didn't use them. Uh, we don't use chemical weapons. Uh, that's no deal, although we do know that Assad's father did. And then he goes ahead and blatantly does it. It makes you wonder what the mullahs will do when you, if they have a couple nuclear weapons, just a couple. Are they capable of not using them? And that, that, of course, you know, I think that everybody talking this morning is projecting toward that, which is if you can't use deterrence in the normal way of mutual assured destruction, you can't say, like, you do this, we're blowing right. you up. If that doesn't work, what does work? Okay, again, uh, okay, so he, he, was he ripped up and down for weeks? For, for, did the media go nuts over this? The media really didn't go that nuts over this. It made a bit of a headline at the time, but that was pretty much it because he's Chris Madden. I'm going to say, everybody just assumes that he comes out of the show. Everybody sort of just gets it. Comes out, gets up in the morning, doesn't know what he's talking about, and he says something weird about the Holocaust. But who cares? Kathleen, book me a room. You know, this is, it's just, 
again, the double standard is is pretty ridiculous and and pretty silly. Um, that wasn't the only stupid thing Chris Matthews has ever said, by the way. Last night, other things I hate, Chris Matthews on MSNBC, he said that uh, the Trumps were like the Romanov family, meaning the, the last Russian Tsarist monarchy. Let's go to Ann on this question. And it seems to me that there's always an element of almost Romanov absurdity, a royal family absurdity with the Trumps. Now, it's one thing to have Jared Kushner sitting in on all meetings, doing all travel, representing the president as some sort of viceroy. But then we're getting, look at this. Eric Trump, the son of the president, said that his sister Ivanka may have played a role in the president's decision to respond to serious chemical attack. Quote, Ivanka is a mother of three kids and she has influence. I'm sure she said, listen, this is horrible stuff. My father will act in times like that. First of all, the son, who's the, you know, the son of the president of the United States, says his father, certainly the family, looks upon all the people around the president, the cabinet members, the top aides, the national security advisors, the joint chiefs, as a bunch of appeasers, a bunch of yes men. And the only people that the president can rely on are his son, his daughter-in-law, I mean, his son-in-law, and his, and his daughter. I mean, it's like, it is the Romanovs. The real advisors to this president, he's saying, are the family. Okay, they're not like the Romanovs, gang. They're an elected government. The <laughs> Donald Trump is an elected president of the United States. I'm not happy either with him treating this like a family business. But the Romanovs were actually murdered by the communists. So I think that that's a weird thing to say about the president of the United States and his family. It's a mildly weird thing to say at the very, very least. Okay, so... If everything feels like chaos, that's only because it is. We'll be back tomorrow with more updates on everything that is going on. Donald Trump turning into a wartime president. Is this a, is this a, permanent, is this a permanent thing? Is this Donald Trump shifting his worldview? Or is it in consonance with a worldview that was basically isolationist unless you bother us, in which case we bomb you into the ashman of history? And we'll talk about a little more of that tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 